Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Caught up today with Bryce Crocker, CEO at Jevois Mining. Uh, he gives us an update on the ICO uh, debt finance and also what's going on down at their uh, SMP uh, refinery down in Brazil. We also look to the future and um, some of the new hires are going to be able to do to uh, help with that growth story. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation topics discussed, company and indeed Bryce, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from around the world, including uh, talking about different commodities and companies, including the uh, EV thematic. We've got training courses on there. And of course, summaries of all the interviews that we've done to save you some time because we know you're busy people. But most excitingly of all, there's a wonderful thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from all that judgment, trolling, and abuse that you see elsewhere. If that sounds nice to you, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. There's a bit of a waiting list um, as we launch the new platform in a few weeks' time, but it's well worth the wait. So cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? Well, Matthew, good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you again, Bryce. We haven't spoken since October. How have you been? Keeping busy, I, I see. Uh, we have been busy. Yeah, we have been. Uh, I had a small operation, so that's why I'm standing up uh, lecturing you this evening. It's not something I typically do, but uh, fantastic. I'm just recovering. Oh, crikey. Nothing too serious, I hope. Uh, you, you have to get yourself a company I'll be podium. I'll on the live soon. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny. We, we, we had Mike, uh, Mike Young on from Vimy just before this, and he showed me a, a sort of horrific picture of a face plant that he did 50 kilometers an hour going downhill when the chain decided to wrap itself around the uh, gears is oh yeah oh is right hideous hideous um right we better uh, and uh, james uh, we're meeting you for the first time how are you and where are you yeah i'm doing well uh man yes i'm a, a recent addition to the chivois team joined on first of march uh joining bryce on uh, the rest of a high caliber team based here in melbourne in australia Fantastic. And they schlepped you down from Singapore, I hear. Correct. Correct. Okay. Well, we're going to hear all about you in a second. But um, Bryce, I'm just going to ask you to do the um, the usual, give us a one-minute overview of your business for people new to this industry and this story, and I'll pick it up from there. Okay. Thanks. So we're a group of executives largely from Glencore. Uh, so what we're looking to do is creating a vehicle that has got exposure to the battery thematic, um, but we're very selective about the assets that we're looking to put in place and also very selective about the team that, we're, um, that we've been establishing in terms of managing those assets. So uh, in terms of the hires since uh, I last spoke to you in October, I mean, obviously you met James, uh, joined from Rio Tinto as CFO. Uh, we have Greg Young, uh, who was one of the founding partners of Glencore, uh, set up the USA business for Ivan, was co-CEO for the last decade, was uh, retired on the IPO or left Glencore on the IPO. Uh, around the Stanford office. So uh, I believe he'll be talking later in the week and you'll also make two commercial hires that that, um, that came on with Greg, Wade Yeoman and Klaus Wilhoff. Uh, so we'll, I'll introduce them on the subsequent call. We've, I understand we've set up a marketing call to run through the specifics of Nickel Cobalt later in the week, which will be one of the first times we've ever done this publicly. We did it for an, an investment bank probably a month ago. And I guess at Devoir, because of our backgrounds, we do perceive we've got a proprietary advantage. Typically, we've kind of kept that in-house, but I guess now we've, uh, we're in a position where I think that it's uh, it's important, but particularly in the context of an acquisition, the San Miguel Polista refinery acquisition, 
that we can kind of articulate to investors the trading capability that we've got around the organisation. See, that's the, this is what interests me about the your story. When we first started talking to you, you had come you'd come from Glencore. You were sort of talking big company language, and you came into the junior space, and you saw it was it was different. The conversations, the narrative was different. But that didn't put you off from trying to set this I'll up. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> well, it, it was tough, right? you got to admit that. It was tough. I mean, it's different at this end of the – well, I say at this end of the market. We've, I mean, we're, we're now capped at $400 million, so it's, it's a little different. But I think that it's uh, – we're at a point where uh, – we're at a point where we're, we're migrating up the value chain. And I think that the uh, – Clearly, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of investors that have been there since since I came in and since we've established the team. Uh, Peter Johnson came on board in uh, shortly thereafter, and so there's certainly a core group of, um, of of investors that have been with us along the way. And we're clearly as we move forwards and we've been raising capital, the the, reg the register is becoming increasingly institutionalised. Um, but I mean, I'm really excited because I think that the the thematic 2017 was a false start. Uh, but I think now you're seeing uh, a genuine move into uh, the electrification, the trends. You saw what happened in Q4 last year in Europe and the China. And I do think this time, from a macro perspective, we're off to the races. And it's really about making sure we've got the right vehicle for investors to take advantage of that. That's my point. It's, it's the intent that you showed at the beginning, which was, which was difficult when you're sitting around 80 million market cap and not a lot of cash to where you are today. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the things that you needed to put in place. Some of it being bringing people like James, but you've got a, as you mentioned, a name dropped a few other uh, executives that you brought on board. So the intent is to keep growing this. Does that mean more acquisitions? Well, I think unashamedly, I mean, we're about growing the company. I mean, you don't have the board and the management team that we have in place to run a four or $500 million company. And I'm not going to retain the, the company, the group that I've got it I've established on the basis of having essentially the assets that we have today. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we've got a fantastic footprint. What we've got in the United States and what we have in Brazil, I think it's a great footprint for a business. Uh, but it's not the end of the story by any stretch. I mean, and I think investors who are on our register clearly are there because they do expect us to grow both uh, as we build out assets and deliver what we've acquired so far, and as we look to sensibly and rationally in a way and grow the company moving forward. So what else have you got to do? Because obviously the market for nickel and, and, and cobalt is moving in your favour. It's doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you, right, uh, in terms of the market perception and the, of this space. But what else have you got to do, the things that you're going to be in control of? Well, I think for us now it's about delivering and building mines and restarting metallurgical facilities. And this is, I think, what differentiates us or what will differentiate us as the new years come. Uh, there's a reason why not many small mining companies make the transition from developer to operator. It's not easy. You, you need financing, you need construction capability, and you need commissioning and, and operating capability. And so to assemble that within, that, and that's where small mining companies, obviously those organisations lack the organisational depth. I mean, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, there's half a dozen executives who'd be overqualified to step into my shoes. And I've deliberately created that environment, as has Peter Johnson at the chair, we wanted to create a group that's got genuine organisational depth uh, because we want to take the next step now. I mean, now we're about, I mean, obviously James has been on board, uh, brought on board to finalise the financing for Idaho as we move forwards. 
Uh, I've been spending a lot of time in Brazil. I mean, I think when I spoke to you last time, I think I was in DC at the time, That's right. probably in October when we launched the transaction. And so I spent uh, another, I was up there up until the election and then spent three months, three, four months in Brazil after that with the acquisition of the refinery in Sao Paulo. And now we're at a point now where it's, it's exciting. I mean, we've got a number of work streams in place. Uh, we're moving forwards with Idaho's site access is open. We've got contractors, they're constructing. And so we're close to final, uh, to a final uh, approval now to move forward for full construction uh, coming up towards mid-year. And uh, Brazil is, again, Brazil is, I think, uh, it's an exciting asset. It's not well understood because obviously it hasn't operated in the public space previously. We purchased it from Botarantium, a private company. But it's exciting. I mean, this is, um, and it's, we operate in a different part of, purposely, a different part of the value chain to others. So I think that if you look at the capability we have on the trading and commercial side, uh, I mean, again, I won't uh, steal the thunder for the call later on in the week with the team, but I mean, in a level of capability that's, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary level of capability in any organization of any size, let alone one that's kind of at where, where, where you are today. And I think that uh, certainly with the refinery, uh, we've got an ability to build up a trading business. We're unashamedly getting downstream. We want we value that direct interface with customers. I guess ideologically, I mean, we're kind of traders. Uh, we will, we obviously will board up understanding and valuing customer relationships and understanding how critical that, uh, that, that, that that is to commercial success and to commercial value. And that's what unashamedly we're really looking to leverage, get to getting downstream, getting into the refinery business and essentially transforming into a specialty chemicals company for, for, what it, for, for all intents and purposes. Special chemicals company, different multiples. I can see why you'd want to frame it like that, but you've got to do a few things. You've, you've got a small business, but using your own phrase, you've got a small business, 400 million market cap business, not where you want to be. So coming back to the question about M&A, what are the other building blocks that you need to put in place and where do you find them and how are you going to have to overpay in this market? Well, I think, I mean, I can come back to the M&A, but I don't think just because we're capped at 400 today doesn't mean we'll be capped at 400 once we get these into operation. So, uh, I mean, I think RBC put out their cobalt price in 2024 at 40 bucks. Now, obviously, that's not the number we used in our feasibility study, but to illustrate the 2024 EBITDA out of Idaho is 110 US at 24 bucks in current copper and gold. Uh, if, if RBC are wrong and we hit that price a year earlier, it spits out 150 US of EBITDA. And that's just Idaho. I mean, arguably, the reason why I've got Greg Young, Wade Yarman, Klaus Woolhoff, and also James, these, they, they're joining because of San Miguel Paulista. They're joining for the downstream asset. Uh, it's not well understood because we haven't completed the studies, but this is really the, the, the ability to transition to a vertically integrated producer has genuine value. So, I mean, first of all, it's not that I don't, I do frame our existing business as a footprint but it's not an insignificant footprint relative to where we're capped today. I guess that's one observation. And the other is I think, I mean, we're about building an operating business. So uh, we're not just parking assets into a listed vehicle that are operationally leveraged and um, hoping that there's a Hail Mary that comes through with regard to price. There's plenty of other people in Vancouver and Perth doing that. What we're looking to do is build an operating asset and link in. Everything has to have an industrial logic to what we're doing. So there's certain key markets that, we are, that we're strategically focused on. And obviously, uh, Asia x China, given the, um, the relationship we have with the US government, et cetera, is one. Uh, Europe is another. And the US obviously is a key market for us, given where we're at in, with regard to Idaho. So I think there are growth opportunities. There are opportunities for consolidation. I mean, clearly, 
we need to deliver. We need to improve our share price. But I think that there's, I think as you look forwards, the landscape's going to be quite different than what it, than where it is today. You'd, well, you'd hope so. You definitely hope so. Um, but, but again, I just, want, I just want to come back to things. So give us some idea of, I, I get the deliver uh, on the ops side of things with the two projects that you've got today. But what else can we expect to see? People are asking lots of questions sent in about the expectation is that you guys are going to go out and get the checkbook out. Well, I mean, uh, obviously we've, we've been, We've got a significant transactional background in the, in the organisation. I mean, in the in the last transaction with San Miguel Paulista, we did, we didn't use an advisor. Uh, Ken and Ken Clarkson, ex general counsel Glencore, and I we negotiated that. Mo Ellis were on the other side. Certainly, if there's a public markets angle to a transaction, and we, then we need investment banks. But we've got a level of capability, and also now with James coming on board, and again Greg Young sitting in the US, I mean strong commercial capability. Uh, so. There's a lots of opportunities out there. Uh, the key is finding an angle, finding an ability to create kind of asymmetric value where we think we can bring value that our, others can't. We can manage the asset better. We can link it in with our existing business with trade flows that supports what we're looking to do commercially. Uh, I mean, I think one thing that uh, certainly we do believe in the in the kind of the geopolitical structure that we have now in terms of uh, I'm spending a lot of time and. My, a lot of my focus, obviously, is on the United States. I think that the pressures that you're seeing geopolitically are real. And there's, an, there's a slide on one of our investor presentations where we, where we kind of compare ourselves against the other nickel-cobalt companies that have battery exposure on the ASX and TSX. And this is what I think will change because this slide, it's, an, it's kind of an, it's a disaster for institutional and shareholders. There's, there's really very few companies of scale or no companies of scale or substance, really. And when obviously Jeff Wah is part of that. But you have no mid-cap. You've got no, since Extrata took out Falcon Bridge Inco, Valet took out Inco. I mean, Inco is looking at, Valet is looking at refloating the old Inco for a reason because there is institutional appetite for uh, well-run assets that, are, that, that, um, that has liquidity and scale and trades like a proper stock, like a, like a mid-cap. And so I think similar to what you've seen on the gold side, which has obviously been really price driven, uh, I think you are going to see the, the playing field completely transform in years to come. As the battery thematic, it goes mainstream. And I, we're really excited to be to really trying to, to position ourselves to be at the forefront of that of a vehicle which is growing, which has got ambition, has access to capital and has a management team that certainly has the capability to step in and run much uh, great, much greater portfolio of assets than what we have today. But equally, it's it's also not about getting ahead of ourselves. And clearly, I mean, we're very sensitive to dilution. We own ten percent of the company, alongside Australian Super, as a group that we identified as a very key strategic shareholder when, when I returned to Australia. Uh, so it's not about growth for growth's sake. We're not just trying to create an empire. Like, if I'm sitting here in three years' time and I've built a three billion dollar business and we're trading at forty five cents. Uh, my wife will happily remind me that I've just worked for three years for free. So, so we're all highly incentivized to share price. Um, it's not about building empires. None of us have to do that for um, egotistical purposes. It's really about how can we build a business that's going to genuinely add value to investors. And I think that if you look at the trajectory in this space, it is going to be really exciting. I mean, we don't put any of the marketing fluff that others do um, with regard to, we don't focus on even in all of our, presentations we don't focus on evs we don't focus on the thematic we don't focus 
think I've said that there's usually an inverse relationship between the amount of time a company spends on the thematic versus the quality of the underlying investment. Um, so we do believe in that, um, but uh, we are excited. It doesn't mean we're not excited about what's going to happen. We're super excited. That's why we're doing this in the public space, not privately. And that's why I think that creating a vehicle that's got, um, that's got some torque behind it and has an expectation of aggressively pursuing value, I think that it's quite an exciting proposition for investors. And, we, and it is differentiated. I mean, I look across at our peers and we are differentiated just because of the people that Peter Johnson and I have assembled. No, I, 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 buy, I buy that. The, 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 the management team and the board is pretty impressive. It's, it's probably geared up to being a much bigger company, which you've done from day one. I, I get it. And you're right. I only see one Tesla on your PowerPoint. So it's pretty impressive too. Um, talk, to me about, talk to me about what the conversations in the US have led you to think, believe, and then do, because it's a big market. And if and you're you know you're in Idaho, that's that's very very helpful. But what has the government promised you anything? Have they told you anything you didn't know before? What was the benefit of camping out down in DC? Uh, I think that I mean we've obviously confirmed publicly in response to media speculation, kind of what what we what the applications are. So we have applied under the various loan initiative or loan support programs to the DOD, the DOE, and also the DFC. The I mean I think the US is serious about critical minerals. They're serious about, there's not many issues that are, that are bipartisan these days in DC without delving into politics, but, uh, but China and critical minerals, I mean, they're kind of two. Uh, I think that the inbound administration is, there. there's been no pivot in relation to the engagement with China. I mean, we, I spent as much time on the Hill with Democratic and um, senators and congressmen as I did with Republicans. And there is no, I mean, there's no real divergence between the parties as it pertains to dealing with China. Different strategies, perhaps, but the concept in terms of how the US is interfacing with protecting um, what they perceive to be critical supply chains is different. And I also think on critical minerals, it's it's kind of needed. I mean, obviously, respect where it's due. President Trump was very effective in executive orders. He set the wheels in motion in a way that prior administrations didn't. But clearly, there's a number of policy agenda items which are uh, on the table in a much more significant way than what they were previously, whether it's greenhouse gases, climate change, the appointment of Secretary uh, Kerry um, and EVs. I mean, we're, we're part of an organisation. As an example, we're part of an organisation called Zeta. Um, so we're founding members alongside alongside your Tesla and Levent and Albemarle, Uber. And, I mean, this thing has morphed. It's a big deal. I mean, I don't sit on every conference call because they're at 3 a.m. in the morning here, but occasionally... Uh, when I've got insomnia, I do patch in and there's like 100, 120 people on this call. It's, uh, it's generated and obviously it's, uh, it's an organisation which is gaining, it's, got, it's well connected in DC and they've got some big voices and they've got some big pockets that they're really pushing an agenda, uh, which I mean the underlying agenda of Zeta is uh, all US passenger vehicle fleets to be electrified by 2030. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't bet against them. There's there's a big, big push uh, in the United States to electrify and to transition away from fossil fuels. And the concept of critical minerals and the concept of security supply chains, this is all real. And the reality is we don't talk around what, what we are dealing with with government, but I think when I can say before I presented, before COVID broke down and I was in D.C., and presented to the cross-executive subcommittee. And what I said is, look, I hope I'm wrong. As an Australian, I do hope that you have six cobalt mines in the US in five years, even if that 
may not be economically the best thing for Jeff Wah, it's the best thing for, for me as an Australian. But I don't see it. I don't look across the country and nobody sees it. I mean, the rest of the country, with respect, is largely moose pasture, unfortunately. Uh, we've got the only ag aggregation of resource, which is of the requisite scale and grade that will become a mine. And obviously, we're working hard to bring that into fruition. In terms of your question, which uh, I, I wasn't, didn't mean to give a political answer and uh, talk for five minutes without answering your question, I mean, the government is, we fit right within the wheelhouse of what I think the administration wants to do, whether we fit within the technical boundaries of some of the structure of the program, that's what we're working through with the various departments, and we continue to do so. What does that mean? What do you mean within the technical boundaries? It means that there's various, there's various uh, as I said, we've, we've publicly noted that we've applied for to the DOD. Uh, the D uh, under the Defence Production Act, both the DFC has uh, a degree of authority. Under uh, the DOE has various loan initiative programs. There's, uh, uh, there's there are mechanisms. But the US government has broad discretion in terms of how it can potentially step in to assist. Uh, obviously, government doesn't necessarily march to the same speed as the private sector. And clearly, we've had a transition. I mean, I was based in DC. On election day, I made a decision to go down to Brazil because I didn't foresee that it was going to be a smooth transition, which again, without getting into politics, clearly spending that transition period in DC would, would have, wouldn't have been that productive given the, um, given the inability to kind of get in front of people and have face to face meetings, et cetera. Uh, that's changing the political appointees of Biden's, President Biden's administration are getting put in place and they're being reinitiated re by the team in the US. Um, yeah, I, th I thought that, I thought the Biden's uh, State of the Union um, speech was pretty positive towards uh, EV thematic. Let's say you know, uh, nickel I mean, copper. They're, they're, they're serious. I mean, yeah. they're serious. I mean, I can tell you, we're dealing with it. We're dealing whether it's the White House or the various political appointees. I mean, there's a degree of seriousness this time that uh, the US does not want to be left behind in terms of the electric vehicles. Uh, there's a genuine push. To ensure that that doesn't happen. No, absolutely, and and, and I just I do, again want, without sort of wanting to get political about it, I do want to dig into the you as an ASX company with a US Idaho uh, asset. Um, how do you go about ensuring that you take advantage of that? Uh, you know, and I, I know the guys coming on later this week, but sort of in a, in a few in a few words, I mean, can you? How long is it going to take? I mean, I think the US has broad discretion. As I said, they can do offtake, they can buy product, they can do loans, they can do loan guarantees, they can do direct equity investments. I mean, across the various arms of government, in theory, they can do largely whatever they want, or we think they can do whatever they want. Whether some of the loan epic, uh, bureaucrats uh, agree with those interpretations could be a separate story. Uh, and government, as I said, I mean, obviously you had a situation where the departments have been in place through the transition, but they haven't had political leadership. Um, that's the reality. You had a political hiatus whilst new appointees need to get Senate confirmed. They need to get it confirmed and they need to put, I mean, obviously the number of Senate confirmations isn't limited to the secretary level. It's assistant secretary, undersecretary. Uh, and then the positions that are actually uh, doing the work below that, uh, they have to put in place strategies and policies. So it's happening. The government's certainly functional. It's moving uh, and we're continuing to engage. Uh, but I, I guess I philosophically have a, broad view is that you don't wait for government to do your bidding. I mean, we're working with them. It's the right, we strongly believe, as, as I said, that we're in the wheelhouse. 
but the instructions certainly that uh, and the way James is working through on the private side, I mean, we're not we're not waiting for government. We think it's the right thing to do in terms of for them to get involved, but equally that's their sovereign prerogative, not for us to decide. Well, let's talk about maybe it's now time to bring James in. He's been sitting there patiently listening to this story, which I know you don't talk about a lot, but he must have heard before, um, which is what have you tasked James with doing? Is that okay if I direct that to James? Yeah, sure. I'll pass across, James. James. So you, you come on board from one of the big boys, <laughs> one of the biggest. Um, so that's a big move for you career-wise. So yes. what did you buy into and what have you been tasked with doing? Uh, yes, no, thanks, Matt. Good good questions. Um, look, I'm coming out of uh, a background from Rio Tinto where I was there about 14 years uh, through various um, finance roles and, and also sales and marketing roles, spent time in, in the corporate HQ and um, business development, corporate strategy, that kind of thing. I spent several years up at a uranium subsidiary for Rio Tinto called ERA um, in the Northern Territory. And really after that, spent some time also in uh, the sales and marketing leadership role for Rio Tinto in the commercial hub in Singapore. Um, one of the experiences really of the last couple of years is I, you know, spent a lot of time in the in the smaller commodity space within the Rio Tinto stable uh, working across, uh, you know, uranium borates. Um, I was closely involved in the Retinto evaluation of a number of um, uh, uh, battery materials and, and, and lithium uh, opportunities and, and, and a review as, as uh, Rio got its head around that sector. And really from there, um, late last year, uh, became, you know, quite passionate about battery material space. Uh, professionally was looking for something uh, different um, and really a great opportunity with um, Chevrolet to move into a different environment, but really, um, you know, harness some of those experiences and uh, step into the CFO role and, you know, really looking forward to making a big contribution to the next phase of the Chevrolet growth story. In terms of uh, the current sort of priority on the finance side, it, it's really, um, as Bryce alluded to, uh, we're in that sort of final stage of the debt financing process for the ICO project. Um, sort of financially today, we've got about 30 million US in the bank. Uh, I think the last reported 41 million Aussie is at March. Uh, the ICO CapEx that's ahead of us is about 80 million US. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the near-term priority is finalising the project finance uh, debt facility, uh, which expected around the middle of the year. So um, we're in sort of the point end of that process. We're down to um, uh, really sort of the... Uh, the final stage of that of that process. Okay, and um, Bryce, you also got to get this um, debt project over the line. Obviously, the, the market is positive at the moment. You, like I mentioned at the beginning, you, you've, you've moved from sort of twenty eight cents last uh, October when we spoke up to like forty six, forty seven bucks. It's all good. It's going to be cheaper uh, if you needed any kind of uh, equity component. Um, so, question is. Are you going to have to put some sort of equity component to this, or was the cash in the bank enough to get you over the line? I think it depends on what, what we decide on the financial structure. So I'll be, I'll be quite open and transparent. Like I'm not one of these CEOs who stands up and says we're never going to raise equity. Like we're going to raise an enormous amount of equity over the next three to four years to do what we want to do, yeah? I mean, that's but uh, I, I think ultimately I see when we do raise equity and I I see equity as a re-rating event to an extent. So it's a little different from many of the companies that do come on here are capped at 50 million bucks who, to be honest, they're not institutionally investable. It doesn't matter. Their liquidity is nothing anyway. So if you go from nothing to nothing, it doesn't really make any difference. 
what you saw last time after the raise is we raised at uh, I think 30 cents and we immediately went up to 50 cents and we were trading the liquidity doubled, tripled. And I think that's where, as we become bigger, um, so clearly we're sensitive to dilution. Clearly uh, we will issue equities kind of sensibly and um, in a moderate way, but we're not afraid of issuing equity. And I guess we're also about building an operating company. And the way you build an operating company isn't to gear the crap out of the, yourselves and bet the company on the first asset you're going to build, uh, like a lot of our peers will do. I've been on the supply, and in terms of, I mean, I'll, use, I'll give you an example. So on the, uh, in terms of ICO, so I was on the, on the buying side of that for like six similar mines at uh, Glencore Extrata. So whether it was uh, Kavitsa, First Quantum, London, uh, sorry, uh, Eagle, Rio Tinto, Rio Tinto, now London, uh, but good sponsors, uh, high quality mines. And there's a number of others that, that I can kind of list, but you know what? They all gave me a concentrate forecast that we were going to purchase. They all missed the concentrate forecast. Uh, there wasn't the nickel in there that they said there was going to be in there. There was more NGO than there was nickel and other impurities. And you know what? That's called starting a mine. And I think that's where you don't want to be starting a mine and be capital constrained. You want to do it the right way. You want to have the flexibility and you never want to be trading. I mean, what I am learning at this end of the market, or I guess conceptually anytime, is you never want to be trading with an expectation that you're going to raise capital uh, because then it's too late. And so I think making sure that we've got the appropriate capital structure I mean, we've been clear that we've obviously got a big acquisition for us organisationally in Brazil. I think we've negotiated a fantastic transaction. So the 20 US, 25 US, depending on FX, payable is payable over the next three years on, and it's payable on stage-gated contingents type um, deliverables based upon production thresholds, et cetera. Uh, but we are going to need capital and there is going to be additional equity to come in. Uh, but clearly with 30 US in the bank equivalent today, uh, the timing of it is going to be dictated really by how aggressively we want to move forwards uh, on Idaho and also what makes sense from a commercial perspective. So that's really, I mean, again, we're not, a, if you look at where where we're at on Idaho, it's about, and it kind of underpins and leads into why we've got Greg Young, why we've got Wade Young and why we have Klaus Wolhoff. I mean, we're building a trading book and part of that is about retaining flexibility. And that's one of the, I mean, we're a little different to, to many, again, many of the companies that come on that all they want to do is sign an offtake. And then, I mean, first, firstly, none of them actually want to build the mine. I mean, my take is that every, every market cap company under that's 300 million bucks, the CEO will get up on a stage and talk about building the mine. But the last thing he or she actually wants to do is have to roll up their sleeves and actually give up three or four years of their life somewhere outside their home jurisdiction to do it. One observation. And the other is that uh, we value trading flexibility. So, I mean, if I talk conceptually around what that means, I mean, I mean, when we approach counterparties on offtake, the first thing they want is life of mine. The first thing we want, so we'll give you a year or two just to kind of get through commissioning. We value the premise of Jevoir is really built around two things, open register, open offtake. Now, that's not to say we won't have offtake because clearly it'll make James' job, job pretty tough if I say we're going to keep all the offtake open because the lenders want some level of protection. But it's, it's quite an ideological difference to just coming in. Like if I was going to sign an offtake with an automaker and give 100% of the production, I don't need the best nickel cobalt trading team sitting in the US to come on and do that. I could have done it myself. Um, so we do have a very different approach than what many of our peers do, where it's all about just signing an offtake, get out the door and uh, kind of hope and pray that someone will eventually take you over, even though you've given up the key, which really allows that corporate activity to occur in the first place. 
I mean, you know, the, the kind of key word you mentioned a few minutes ago was um, commercial. Okay, so uh, just remind me again: what's the the, the 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 cobalt nickel split is what in terms of revenue based on today's price or forecast price? So the, the from Idaho, the BFS was based seventy um, percent cobalt, thirty percent copper gold. I mean, on today's prices, you'd probably be looking about sixty forty because obviously we use three buck copper and we're a ways off three buck copper today. Right. Okay. And where's nickel coming to this? Uh, so nickel was of it. We got a ICO is not nickel. San Miguel Paulista. We haven't published uh, numbers on San Miguel Paulista. We have outlined the scope of what we're looking to do in terms of the restart. And at stage one, will be based on ten thousand tons of nickel and then two thousand tons of cobalt. And I mean, obviously, if you look in the in terms of the relative revenue splits, there it's going to be the, the predominant, the bulk of the economics will be via the nickel in that case. And Nickel, we're excited by. I mean, cobalt, we're excited by. But I think that having some, I think I think it's healthy from an investment perspective to have exposure to both components of the cathode. Yeah, no, no I agree with that. But that was bringing me back to the the earlier question, which is like, where would the focus of the business be? You know, cobalt's a small market, so there's you can't you don't want too much supply in the market. So well, cobalt is a I mean, we, we, we want to grow in cobalt, but we're never going to get back to the uh, we're never going to get back to the level that we're at when we obviously sold Extrata to Glencore. I mean, I can talk around on the following call that in terms of this, the the level of production, but I think the, the market at the time was sixty thousand tons, and between Extrata Glencore, we controlled nearly forty. So clearly, we're not going to get back there. But and you've also had the rise of China in the interim. But I think the key is it comes back to the what we value as customer relationships, but also what we value as customer leverage. Yeah? Um, and the, the reality is, if I've got two thousand ton of cobalt, the market today is one hundred and thirty thousand tons. You know, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm inconsequential, but I'm not influential. Put it that way. If you can get to five, ten, then you put, and and that material is uncontracted, then you matter. If the if the if the dynamic is plays out as we expect, and there's genuine raw material shortages across um, uh, uh, across both nickel, but particularly cobalt, just given this given the, the the stretched nature of the of the physical the physical outlook, then there's just not enough material to go around. Car makers are going to have to. You're not going to see all the car if you overlay all the car makers' forecasts. You're just not going to see. Sufficient raw materials for eventually, for ultimately, all those car makers to do what they want to do, and there's no market for making ICEs in my view in 2030. That's where I think that the markets, this concept of a gradual inclination of EV market share, I think is actually, I think it's misguided. I think it'll be much. You're starting to see it play out that once EVs are a, a cheaper product, they're a better product, uh, and the push to, to switch is going to become it's, it's strong, and you're seeing that from the automakers themselves. Okay, so to just finish, I, and, and I do want to pick up with you on that week because we said we're coming. Uh, you're coming back later this week to kind of help us on the market uh, intelligence side of things. Um, just finish off on this, which is with regards to what's the rest of this year look like as far as Jervois shareholders or anyone looking at this company as potential investment. Is is this the rest of this year just admin, or where's the kind of growth component of the story that we should be looking at? I think it's a transformative view. I think James was talking around the financing side and the importance that of that coming into place. And we're moving forwards in Idaho for full construction. I think that uh, we've announced the appointment of Asenko and uh, Metso Odotech on the BFS for San Miguel Paulista. 
So we've got a, I mean, a very intensive work program there. They're about to get started in Finland on the test work. We've got samples arriving from uh, all around the world. And I think that the, the, the quality of the team that we've pulled in place on San Miguel Paulista, I mean, I'm really excited by it. It's one of the reasons I spent three, four months in Brazil recently. Um, it's, I think it's a, a very good balance between uh, the Botaran team executives that ran the facility previously, supplemented by, obviously, we've got two of the leading global engineers in the space, Metso, Odotech and Olsenko, playing, uh, coordinating the overall BFS. Uh, so I think uh, as San Miguel Paulista moves forwards and we start to provide the markets and structure around what that stage one restart is going to look like, uh, what the stage two will involve later in the year, but particularly, I mean, once you start building the mine, I think in Idaho, I think that's really going to, when we're already, uh, we've got site access, we've got the water treatment plant, the engineers and construction workers are there now. So we're effectively underway. Uh, what we do need to do is to get the water treatment plant and the, uh, the pump back systems commissioned and installed, and then full construction will start in, uh, in July, essentially. So all steam ahead, and that's where it gets exciting because we've got a, uh, we've got, we're building a mine. And the, the build periods, it's quick relative to the type of projects that we're used to building. I mean, we'll be commissioning a year from, from uh, when, once we start, once we start um, full production in July. So very short. And that's where I think for investors, the news flow as we start to come in, into production there, and particularly, uh, I guess, uh, on the financing side with, with James, I think it's, um, yeah, I think we've got a really exciting period as we start, as we we actually make this transition that we've been talking about from developer to producer. Okay. So you're in discussions with the US government about debt financing on ICO, but you don't need them. That's what I heard earlier. Uh, I never say that I don't need a government. So a particularly one as important as if they, the United States. But if they don't move but at I think, the pace oh, that me, you need let them me pass to. Across, I, mean, I think I can, I can pass across to James to talk around where he's on on the debt side. I think that there, we have options available. But clearly, any initiative the US government can provide can provide structural support to what he's looking, talking about on the private side. But why don't I pass back to James? Okay. Yeah, no, thanks, Bryce. And uh, look, from a perspective of a new CFO, obviously, the um, a government solution is, is optimal because uh, a low-cost uh, loan guarantee solution would be optimal from a balance sheet perspective and a, a cost of financing perspective. Uh, but look, to, to, to the point Bryce made earlier, it's um, it's really a question of timing. We're spending proper money in Idaho uh, from around July. It's a summer construction season in North America. We've just got to make sure we've got that project financing solution, you know, delivered ahead of that. Uh, so, you know, we can move forward with confidence, um, you know, into that summer construction season and ultimately um, that sort of 12-month runway for the remaining CapEx spend ahead of that first production date in 2022. So the answer is it's optimal, cheaper, but not essential. Doesn't stop you. I think that's a good summary. Okay, gentlemen, appreciate your time today. Thanks for the update. Looking forward to uh, you guys coming back on and uh, well, sorry, Bryce coming back on. I'm talking about the market intelligence component, certainly to the Cobalt later this week. Uh, stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. All the best. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.